It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello, and welcome to Passion and the Plague, a podcast from The Independent, where we take you back to a lockdown long ago. It's 1348. As the Black Death sweeps across Europe, a group of friends flee the Italian city of Florence to quarantine the countryside. They tell each other stories to keep themselves entertained, and the idea of Giovanni Boccaccio's Decameron, one of Europe's great literary achievements, is born. In this series, you'll hear ten stories from the book, read by people in self-isolation across the country as we tackle the 21st century version of the play. Today's episode is... Saladin and Torello. Enjoy. One or two small clouds still blushed rosy red as the sun climbed from his bed, casting long shadows in the garden behind the palace. Panfilo, we already know from the first of our tales, had been chosen to be king for this day, and he roused his companions, urging them out into the bright sunlight and fresh morning air. As it grew hot, they went inside to rest. Then, at their usual time, they all gathered in the garden, around the marble fountain as on the previous day, to tell and listen to stories before supper. For his theme, Panfilo had chosen liberality, and turning to Pampinia, who'd been queen on their first day together, he asked her to begin. Everyone knows how during the time of the Emperor Frederick Barbarossa, the Christians launched a great crusade to recover the Holy Land. But do you know the report which says that Salah Eddin, a very wise and great ruler who was at that time Sultan of Egypt, hearing of this impending war, decided to see for himself what sort of preparations the Christian lords were making to be able to defend himself the better? So he left Egypt in good hands, and letting it be known he was going on a pilgrimage, he set off disguised as a merchant, with two of his most trusted advisers and three servants. Their mission took them through several Christian lands, and one day, late in the afternoon, they were crossing the Lombard Plain, intending to make their way from there through the Alps into France when they happened to come across a noble Italian knight called Signor Torello on the road from Milan to Pavia. Torello, along with his attendants, his dogs and his falcons, was on his way to a lovely estate he owned on the banks of the Ticino River. He recognised the men he'd met as noble foreigners and was determined to honour them. So when Salah Eddin asked one of his servants how far it was to Pavia and whether they could reach it by nightfall, Torello himself replied, Gentlemen, by the time you get to Pavia, it will be too late for you to enter the city. 
Well, said Salahidin, since we are strangers in these parts, perhaps you'd be so good as to tell us where we might best stay the night. Happily, said Torello. I was just about to send one of my men ahead to a place not far from Pavia. I'll get him to guide you where you can stay very comfortably. He then told his most trusted servant what he should do and sent him off with Salah Eddin and his companions. In the meantime, he rode full pelt to his country house where he arranged for a fine supper to be prepared with tables set in the garden for it was going to be a warm night. When he'd done all this, he stood at the gate, waiting for his guests. The servant, who was a good talker and well-educated, chatted with his noble companions while leading them along a scenic route to his master's estate without them ever suspecting a thing. As soon as Torello saw them coming, he greeted them with a hearty laugh, saying... "'Gentlemen, you are most welcome.' "'Not much got by Salahadin, "'and he soon realised that the worthy Torello "'hadn't invited them on first meeting "'in case they refused, "'and so as to make their refusal impossible, "'had resorted to this stratagem to bring them to his house. "'And so, returning Torello's greeting, he said, "'Sir,' If it were possible to complain of courtesy, we might have good cause, for not only have we gone somewhat out of our way, it seems we have no choice but to accept your excellent hospitality, which I fear we do not deserve, when all we've done is exchange civilities with you on the road. Gentlemen, if appearances don't deceive me, replied the knight, my hospitality falls far short of what you deserve. But as I know you couldn't find a decent place to stay outside Pavia, please forgive my little trick in bringing you here. His servants led the visitors' horses to the stables as soon as they dismounted, and Signor Torello brought the three foreigners to the rooms he had had prepared for them. He offered them ice-cold wine to revive them after the journey, and they sat about chatting until it was time for supper. You may have wondered how these gentlemen conversed with each other. Well, let me say that Salah Eddin and his lords were fluent in Latin and had no difficulty in talking with Torello in that language. In fact, they thought him a fine fellow, cultured, affable and wise. Signor Torello decided that his guests were far more important than he had first thought and regretted not having arranged company and a banquet for them. So, he decided he would rectify this in the morning, telling one of his servants to go immediately to Pavia, which never actually closes its gates and was in fact very close, and give a message to his wife. Then, he took his guests into the garden and asked them questions about who they were and where they had come from. Salah Adin replied, we are merchants from Cyprus, and we are making our way to Paris on business. I could only wish, said Torello, that my own country produced gentlemen who could compare with what I see of the merchants of Cyprus. They had a fine, if hastily prepared dinner, and once they had finished, 
Torello led his guests to three comfortable beds to sleep, retiring himself to his own room. The servant he'd sent to Pavia delivered the message to his lady, who immediately gave instruction for a magnificent breakfast banquet to be prepared for the next day, sending out invitations by torchlight to all the city's most important people, just as Torello had instructed. The next day, Torello took his guests out hunting with falcons. But when Salah Edin asked if he could set them on the road to Pavia and tell them where they might stay in the city, he said he would take them there himself, as he had business in Pavia. They accepted his offer and set off, arriving at the city gates around mid-morning. When they came to Torello's mansion and found themselves greeted by a host of the city's leading citizens... Salah Edin said to Torello, We were more than splendidly entertained last night, more than we could ever have asked for. There's really no need for all this today. Signor Torello was having none of it, however. Fortune brought us together last night. If it's courteous to deny us your company at breakfast this morning, you are more than welcome to do so. Defeated by so much kindness, Salah Edin and his companions dismounted and allowed themselves to be led inside. The breakfast banquet was sumptuous, and although they were indeed great lords used to receiving homage, they were astonished that someone such as Torello, who was no prince but a private citizen, had entertained them as royally as he did and with no hope of gain to boot. After the meal, when the other guests had returned to their houses, Torello sent for his wife. She was a tall and very beautiful woman, dressed in fine robes of Florentine silk. She came to them with her two children either side of her, and when the gentleman rose to greet her, asking her to sit with them and playing happily with her children, she showed by her conversation that she was a learned lady too. When Torello got up to attend to some business, leaving his wife with their guests, she immediately called a servant and asked him to bring some small gifts she wished to offer Salah Edin and his companions. I see that my woman's instincts may well have its uses, she said, for... If you are merchants, gentlemen, my husband is no prince. But please accept these small gifts, and I beg you not to refuse me in this. Nor should you consider the meanness of the gift to reflect the donor's good intentions. Each received two pairs of magnificent robes, one lined with silk, the other with fur, of a sumptuousness more suited to a prince than a merchant. Though they're worth little, she said, I hope they will be of use to you. You have no women to attend you. You've come a long way and you still have far to go. And I know merchants take pride in their appearance. Salah Edin and his companions were overwhelmed by this generosity and agreeing to spend the night with Torello, when they left in the morning, Supplied with fine, fresh horses for themselves and their servants, they couldn't refuse Torello's offer to escort them part of the way. But eventually, 
Salah Edin prevailed on his host to turn back. I shall do as you ask, replied Torello. But first, let me say this. I don't know who you really are, nor do I wish to know. But you cannot persuade me to believe you are simple merchants. And so, farewell, my friends, Salah Edin replied. We may yet have the opportunity, sir, of showing you our worth. Sometime later, Salahedin returned by sea to Alexandria, having seen enough of the plans of the Christian lords against him, and thinking of his own defence. Meanwhile, soldiers across Christendom were assembling in great numbers, and Signor Torello, despite the tears and entreaties of his wife, resolved to join them. As he was about to ride away to meet his countrymen in Genoa, he turned his horse back and said to his wife, I, 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 I joined this crusade for glory, but, but also for the good of my soul. I leave everything in your hands. And since my return is less of a sure bet than my going, will you promise me this? Whatever my fate, if you have no good news from me, Will you wait a year, and a month, and a day, before you remarry, beginning today? Torello, she replied, her eyes brimming with tears. I don't know how I will survive your going. But if I do, if anything happens to you, you must know that for as long as I live, I will be the wife of Torello. My sweet wife, said Torello. I know you'll do all you can to keep that promise, but you are young and beautiful and of a great family in these parts. You're a woman of exceptional brilliance, and I do not doubt that if I'm reported dead or missing, there will be many suitors for your hand. Your family will desire it, and you will have, you will have few resources to resist. And that's why I don't ask you to wait any longer than the time I've mentioned. The lady nodded her consent, then burst into tears. Torello leapt from his horse and embraced her one last time. Then, taking a ring from her finger, she gave it to him, saying, If I should die before we meet again, let this ring be a remembrance of me. Torello took the ring, remounted his horse and went on his way. He took ship from Genoa and arrived safely in Acre, where he joined the great crusader army. Now, not long after he came to the Holy Land, the army was visited by a deadly pestilence, just at the time Salah Eddin chose to attack. His troops captured a good many of the Christians who had survived the sickness, and they were then dispersed, being imprisoned in various cities. Among them was Signor Torello, who was sent to prison in Alexandria. As he was unknown there, and thought it wise to remain so, he was put to work training hawks, which is something he was adept at. In fact, he became such a master of falconry, he came to the notice of Salahedin, who had him freed from captivity and appointed his own falconer. As luck would have it, neither 
recognized the other man, and Torello, who was called simply the Christian by Salah al-Din, thought only of Pavia and escape, which he attempted several times without success. So, when Genoese ambassadors came to Salah al-Din's court to ransom some of their fellow citizens, Torello gave one of them who knew him a letter telling his wife that he was still alive and that she should wait for him. He begged the ambassador to take the letter to his uncle, an abbot of a monastery in Pavia. One day, Salah Edin was talking with Torello about his hawks, when Torello smiled to himself and his mouth took on an expression that Salah Edin thought he recognized from the time he'd once spent in the company of a gentleman of Pavia. He began to scrutinize his companion's face, almost sure that they were one and the same man. Tell me, Christian, he said, what part of the West are you from? I'm a Lombard, my lord, replied Torello, from a city called Pavia, uh, a poor man of no family. Now Salahidin was certain he was right, and thought to himself, I thank God who has given me the opportunity to repay this man's kindness. But he said no more. Only he ordered all his fine robes to be laid out in a room of the palace, into which he took Torello. Look, 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 look at these clothes, Christian, he said, and tell me if you recognize any of them. Torello began to look at them carefully, entirely ignorant of why, and although he saw the fine robes his wife had given to Salaidin, it didn't occur to him that they were the same clothes. So he replied quite honestly, My lord, I don't recognize any of them, though it's true that these two here are familiar, and well, they look like robes I myself once wore, and which were given to a merchant who once stayed with me. Salah Edin couldn't restrain himself any longer, and he threw his arms around Torello's neck. You are Signor Torello of Pavia. I am one of those merchants your good lady gave these garments to. And now at last I can show you the quality of my worth, as I promised on the day I left you. Torello was delighted, but ashamed that he had offered oh, so mean an entertainment to so illustrious a guest. Yet Saladin would not hear of this. Signor Torello, now that God has sent you to me, don't think of me as your master, but your servant. The Sultan dressed Torello in royal robes and made him one of his most trusted men commanding all to honor him as his friend and companion. In time, he grew to love Torello as his second self. Torello bore this good fortune in the same way he had endured the bad, because he had every reason to believe his letter had been safely delivered to his uncle. But what he didn't know was that on the day the Christian army was captured by Salah Edin, a poor Provencal knight 
called Torello of Digne, had died and been buried in the Christian camp. And since Torello of Pavia was renowned throughout the army, it was assumed whenever anyone heard that a certain Torello was dead, that it was our hero who was meant. Many Italians who escaped or were ransomed returned with news of his death, some even saying falsely that they had seen his corpse or been to his funeral. The knowledge of this brought only sorrow to Torello's relations. His lady, in particular, suffered acute anguish. But after months of mourning, when suitors began to call and her family were urging her to remarry, she was young and rich and beautiful. Time after time she refused, bursting into tears whenever the subject was mentioned. Eventually, she was given no choice by her family. But she insisted on Torello's condition that she remain unmarried for the time he'd stipulated. And only under those circumstances would she accept a new husband. This, then, was the way the wind blew in Pavia, when one day, about a week before she was due to be married, Torello, far away in Egypt, chanced to meet a man he recognised as being amongst the Genoese ambassadors who had visited earlier. He'd given the letter to his wife, to one of this man's comrades. He asked him how his previous voyage to Genoa had been. Sir, said the man, shaking his head. I left the galley in Crete, but I heard later that uh, when she was nearing Sicily, she ran into a gale, which drove her onto the reefs off the coast of Tunis. Everyone was drowned, including my brothers. Torello, hearing this account and realising that only a week remained of the period he'd asked his wife to wait before remarrying, was convinced she must now be engaged to someone else. Oh, he became so upset at the thought of this. He couldn't eat and took to his bed, determined to die in earnest. When Salai Din heard this, he came to see him and, understanding the reasons for his friend's sorrow, he begged him not to worry for he could arrange it so that Torello would be in Pavia on the date of the supposed wedding, explaining how this could all be done, when to travel from Egypt to Italy in any normal way would, would be a journey of months. Torello began to feel a little better and begged Salah Eddin to do as he had promised. So the sultan ordered one of his magicians, whose skill in necromancy was celebrated, to find a way of whisking Torello to Pavia in the space of a single night. The magician was certain this could be done, but first he would have to put Torello to sleep. With all this arranged, Salah Edin returned to his friend's bedside. God knows, Torello, I cannot blame you for loving your wife he told him. Of all the women I have met, she is undoubtedly the finest. But I could wish for nothing better than for us to have lived here in Alexandria the rest of our lives. 
ruling as equals over this kingdom. Yet God has willed that this should not be so. I love you with all my heart, and I wish you had confided in me your fears over your wife before now, but I shall do all I can to get you to Pavia in time. My lord, Torella replied, I know you will do what you have said you will do, but let it be done quickly, I beg you, for after tomorrow it will be too late. On the following day, Salah Eddin had a most beautiful and elegant bed prepared in one of the great rooms of his palace. The mattress was covered in velvet, and the quilt was of cloth of gold, embroidered with pearls and precious gems geometrically arranged. And finally, there were two pillows of the finest down. Torello was dressed as a sultan in a fine turban of cloth of gold. It was late in the evening. Salaidin visited his friend, almost in tears. Torello, soon we must part, for I cannot go with you. But before you leave, let me beg you for the love I feel for you, to remember me always, and before we die, if it is at all possible, will you return here to visit me? For then I will be able to Truly, show you my worth as I promised so long ago. In the meantime, ask of me whatever you please, and you shall have it. Torello, his eyes streaming, let it be known, although his words were choked with tears, that he could never forget Salah Eddin, and that he would do all in his power to return to Alexandria. So... Salah Eddin kissed him tenderly and wished him Godspeed. Torello was led to the hall where Salah Eddin had placed the sumptuous bed. He was given a potion to drink and soon afterwards he fell asleep on the bed. Salah Eddin placed a rich crown by him with a note for Torello's wife and on Torello's finger he slipped a ruby ring which glowed and glittered in the lamps. Next he placed a richly ornamented sword by his side and pinned a pearl brooch to Torello's breast. And finally he placed two golden bowls overflowing with gold coins either side of his sleeping friend, then kissing him one last time, he withdrew, and by some magic powers I don't pretend to understand, Torello suddenly disappeared before his eyes and was sped through the night. As he'd requested, Torello, his bed, and all this finery reappeared in the abbey church of his uncle, where he continued to sleep until the matin's bell was rung. A sexton entered, carrying a lantern, 
but when he saw the apparition of the bed and its inhabitant, he fled in terror to the abbot. Dear, dear me, said the abbot, you're not a child to be frightened so easily. Let's go and see what this is all about. So the abbot and his monks, carrying many torches, entered the church and saw the beautiful bed with its sleeping knight. And just as they were staring in astonishment, the potion Torello had taken wore off, and he sighed deeply. The abbot and monks couldn't believe what they saw and ran from the church. But opening his eyes and looking about him, Torello realised where he was, and just how generous Salahidin, prompted by love, had been to him. He called out to the abbot by name, saying it was his nephew, Torello. The abbot, for many months, had believed his nephew to be dead. But as Torello continued to call to him, he crossed himself and cautiously approached the knight, who said to him, Oh, uncle, zio, what are you afraid of? I'm alive, and I've returned from across the sea. Now, Torello had grown a beard in Egypt and was dressed in eastern clothes, but the abbot still was able to recognise his nephew. He took him by the hand. My son, you are a welcome sight, he said. There isn't a man or woman in Pavia who doesn't believe you to be dead. Indeed, your wife, Madonna Adalieta, has been forced by her family to marry again this very day. Torello leapt from his bed and embraced the abbot, and then all the monks, asking them to say nothing of his return until he had attended to some business. He stowed away the precious jewels and gold in the abbey, and then told his uncle of all that had happened to him. Before anyone hears of my return, Torello told the abbot, I wish to know how things stand with my wife. Would it be possible for you to arrange an invitation to the wedding for the both of us? The abbot agreed, and as soon as dawn had broken, he sent a message to the bridegroom. When the time came, Torello went with the abbot in his fine oriental clothes to the bridegroom's house, causing quite a stir to those who saw him, although no one recognised him. The abbot let it be known that he was an envoy from the Sultan on his way to the King of France. In deference, Torello was seated directly opposite his lady, and while he couldn't keep his eyes off her, she seemed to be troubled. Now and then she would look in his direction, not because she thought she recognised him, but because of the strangeness of his clothes. After a while, Torello took hold of the ring, which she had given him the day he left, and, gesturing to one of the servants who were waiting at table, he said, Tell the bride, with my compliments, that in my country, whenever a stranger comes to a bridal feast, it is customary for the bride to send a cup from which she's been drinking, filled with wine, to show that he's welcome. Once the stranger has drunk his fill, the bride drinks what is left. The youth took this message to the lady, who ordered that a great golden cup be filled with wine and given to Torello. Torello had placed the ring in his mouth and drank from the cup, letting it fall into the wine without anyone seeing. Leaving a little wine in the bottom, he returned the cup. Then the lady, 
raised the cup to her lips as he had requested, and saw the ring. She recognised it, picked it out, and began to stare at the apparent stranger. Now she saw who he was, and, as though she had gone mad, she overturned the table and cried out, It is my lord! This truly is Torello! She ran to him and flung herself on him and wouldn't let him go until, gently, he begged her to release him as she would have all the time in the world to show her feelings when they were alone again. The wedding was now in total disarray, but Torello's return caused a great rejoicing amongst his friends. When some order was restored, he began to narrate his adventures, ending by suggesting that the bridegroom couldn't blame him for claiming his lady as his own, as he was indeed alive, and she still married to him. The embarrassed bridegroom couldn't disagree, so the lady gave him back his ring and crown and wore the ring Torello had returned to her and the crown Salaidin had sent. And they went back to Torello's house, where there was great rejoicing by his friends and relatives who viewed his return as truly miraculous. Through many letters, Torello told Salaeddin about his happy return to Pavia, saying he would forever be his friend and servant, but they would never see each other again. And in this way, the trials of Torello and his beloved wife came to an end, and they were rewarded for their kindness to strangers. This episode of Passion and the Plague was narrated by me, Kevin Childs, and the storyteller, Pampinia, was played by Janine Ulfane. Subscribe to this series on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you listen so you'll never miss an episode. If you've enjoyed this story and want to read more from the Decameron, there's a link in the description to buy the book. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.